0: We're calling you to revival, right, in your own personal life. And um, so in, in that uh, vein, um, seek him, seek him. I've been uh, studying this uh, kind of concept for the last uh, summer as I was preparing for this year, and um, God was just like, you need to seek me, <laughs> you need to seek me. If you, if you want to find it, you got to seek me. And uh, so seek him is our theme for the year, And uh, I think it came about because, you know, I've been thinking about like a building and the responsibility of look at all these people and they need a home. Maybe Moses felt like that with leading the people in the wilderness, like we need a home, right? And so I was just thinking about that and I was thinking about like, I asked myself this question, where does God meet with us? You ever ask that question? Where does God meet with us? So I asked the question, where does God meet with us? i got to tell you something. So I started listing off these places that God meets with us, right? So that's why the first series of this whole year theme of Seek Him is going to be meeting places, because here's four places where God meets us. Okay? The altar, the tabernacle, or you can call it the tent of meeting, the temple, the church. And I want to take you through history of where God met his people and how they build on each other, but i got to say something. My discovery, my research, my diving in with my whole heart, soul, soul, mind, and strength has brought me to a different question. Rather than asking, where does God meet with us, it turned into this. When does God meet with us? When? <laughs> what are the characteristics around him meeting with us? It turned from a physical search God, where do I find you? What physical place? What what address are you at? Into a spiritual journey of what needs to happen in me, through me. (laughs) What needs to be stripped away? What needs to be revitalized in order to meet with you today? Because we're all here. And some of us met with the Lord this morning. And others of us are like, well, I thought it would be better than that. I thought it would be, I thought, you know, I didn't really feel anything, you know. And some Sundays would come and it's nothing. And some Sundays would come and I'm like, man, that was the Holy Spirit and power. And I got to tell you, it's not about the place, Kellogg Middle School. It's more about the place right here. My heart is it for the Lord, right? So that's a little background on why we're going to be studying these things. Seek him, grab some gear if you want online, and then meeting places. And here's the first one, the altar. And the altar is a place of sacrifice. It's a place where you sacrifice something. And so I'm going to ask you today to make some huge sacrifices. Revival is scary because something inside of you has to die in order to s- for something to Of God to be able to be alive there and so I know this is going to be a little scary for you it's been a little scary for me Um, my heart was pounding uh, even as I got up here and I'm just like but I want to see the power of God so I'm willing to make a sacrifice a place of sacrifice the altar because I want so badly to see the power of God So first, let me start with this. I just got to get a few things out of the way because I'm not going to preach a message on like the history of the altar or the instructions of the altar. I want to get to the application, right? What does the altar mean to me and how do I apply that in my life? Give me that, right? Anybody? Yeah, okay. That's that's the kind of church this is. So in case you came for information, I'm going to give you a little bit at the front, but that doesn't happen all the time, okay? So here's the history. Throw it up on the screen for you. Uh, The altar starts with Abel. So do you think it started with Abel or do you think it started with Adam? <laughs> yeah, I think it might have started with Adam. But in the Bible, there's definitely offerings being made by Abel and Cain, and you know how that went, Genesis 4. But the point was, offer my best, right? Offer an acceptable gift to the Lord. Then it went to Noah. Noah in chapter 8 of Genesis offered specific Clean sacrifices. That's why there were seven of one animal on the uh, ark and only two of another, right? Because he was supposed to offer specific clean animals. It was a sacrifice. And then Abram, before his name was changed, in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 13, it was like everywhere he went, God said, Build me an ar- altar. Build me an altar. Oh, you moved again. Because I told you to. Build me an altar. Oh, you moved again. So if you're going to get in a new house, if you're buying a house or something, bring the altar, right? Bring it with you, okay? Abraham, after his name was changed, Genesis 22, maybe the uh, most amazing altar moment. I don't know what happened, but I can only presume that his son Isaac gained all of his affection and so God, like only God would do, said, you need to kill that. And the thing that you're affectionate about is your child. And so I'm asking you to bring him to the mountain, and I'm asking you to kill your child. You're like, that's gross. We don't have, no, nobody's ever doing that. That's pagan worship, isn't it? Is that pagan worship? Seems like pagan worship to me. Notice God didn't go through with that. <laughs> he provided a lamb, right? Right? And it's a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the lamb that was slain for you and me. So such a powerful story. You can go read these things, a little history. And then you have Isaac. Well, you can only imagine Isaac had a little PTSD when it came to altars. Um, so <laughs> I'm thinking, uh, I'm staying away from those things, uh, is what I'm thinking. And so God had to like, drag isaac kicking and screaming be very clear he had to like meet with him face to face and say build me an altar and it was a matter of obedience for isaac and isaac was obedient in building an altar and you can see that in genesis 26 and he followed god and then you have jacob in chapter 33 and then in chapter 35 of genesis and the key to this is listen to god right it's a place where you can listen to God. And uh, he built this altar, and God changed his name. It was a game changer. It was a, it was a life changer. It was a, and I'm praying this morning will be a life-altering service for you. That today, your name will change, right? <laughs> that today, something changes in you that is so profound that you'll never be the same again. Don't you come to church for that? I didn't come to church to check the box today. I came so that God would radically change my life. That's why I came. I hope you came for that reason, because that's what I'm going to ask you to do. And then in Moses, uh, Exodus 15, you're starting to get towards the tabernacle now, but Moses built an altar, and he called it, uh, God is my banner. And he worshiped God. And you know, Joshua built an altar, Gideon built an altar, Samuel built an altar, Saul built an altar, David built an altar, Solomon built an altar, the prophets built altars, they all built altars. Why? Because that's what God asked them to do. And I believe God's asking you to do something today. The prophets did something else. The prophets also made a practice of tearing down all the false altars all the idolatrous di- prophets, our, our uh, praises and worship, all the idolatrous uh, thoughts and, and things, okay? They rip those down. All the little G-gods, you're like, I don't have any little G-gods. Uh, yes, you do. Yes, I do. And we need to constantly rip those things down, tear the altars, the false altars down, and build up the altar of God. Prophets made a Uh, practice of that i'll get to that in a second so here's some instructions okay no slide for this but just just a few things if you want to learn about altars there's a couple altars right so there's an altar in uh, exodus 27 that's the bronze altar of burnt offerings so they would offer things on that and then there's exodus 30 you can write these down you can look them up or you know any google search will find it and uh you got the altar of oh thanks brent i really appreciate it thanks for bringing those stones in i I appreciate it. I might need your help. Okay. So then you have the gold altar, the altar of incense, and they each have sizes. They're each particular. And so there's instructions about altars. You can't just whip up an altar. like So this would not work in an altar. You're like why? Why will that work and this won't? Because this is a hewn stone. This is made, man-made. This is formed by man. Do you understand that? This will not work. Do not try to make an altar of your own making with things that you've made, right? There's some things that uh, in Exodus 20 is the place to go. If you isn't that the Ten Commandments? Exodus 20? yeah, there's 10 commandments there. And then after the Ten Commandments, right after that in verse 22 through verse 26, he explains these two things, not a hewn stone lest you profane my altar and not steps going up lest I see your nakedness. Okay, now listen. Let's build an altar. The altar was made out of 12 stones. They were unhewn stones, okay? So you build an altar with unhewn stones. The reason you build an altar with unhewn stones is who made this rock? Who made this? God made this rock. You can't worship something, uh, God, who created the universe, on something you made. You worship on what he made. Does that make sense? So, this is an altar. You might need this big rock. And then the whole steps thing. Don't go up on God's creation and say you're better than anything else he made. God did say we were the prize of his creation, right? But it's also pre- presumptuous. He can say that he created us. But it's presumptuous to be like, I'm up here, I'm awesome, and God, what else you made is underneath me. No, it's not underneath him. Thanks, Brent, I appreciate it. So there's an altar. It doesn't look like much. I thought it'd be bigger. Didn't you think it'd be bigger? Now, how big could it be if it had to be stones that weren't cut? How, I mean, how big can you carry? This is all I could handle. I had bigger. But this is what I could carry. So in our story today, in 1 Kings 18, you're going to have this visual like it's a huge thing. And it being bigger, for some reason, makes it more powerful in our mind. We're a bigger, better society. More is better. But I want you to catch something. In the story, The astounding thing isn't the size of the altar or the amount of water or the size of the bull that's on the altar. The extraordinary thing about the story that we're going to study is God comes in a visible, manifest way. And he shows himself strong. That's what the altar's about. So that leads me to this question. When was the last time that you saw the visible demonstration of God's manifest power? When was the last time? In the passage, there's a lot of silence on that too. I asked my wife that. I've been asking people that this week. I asked my wife that, and it didn't take her long, honestly. She was like, uh, Vertical Church Conference, this happened, that was God. And I was like, whoa, yeah, I remember that. That was God. Yesterday, we were at HLS. It's a a Harvest Leaders Summit where uh, small group leaders gather for some training, and we like to pour into them. And uh, I'll tell you, when I spoke yesterday on Psalm 77, That wasn't me. I didn't plan to say that. That was a visible, nobody would have known that except for I knew that's not what I was going to say. That's not what, the way I was going to say it. That's not what I had. That was from God. That was a visible manifestation of God's power. Some people have silence. They can't come up with something and other people respond like this. What do you mean God's power? What are you talking about? They want clarification on the question. Well, I mean, I saw the sun come up today. Right? That was powerful. It happens every day. And we expect it. Even though it is powerful and it is the manifest presence of God, we're just like we write it off because it happens every day. Maybe you coming here every week and somehow you're just like, of course God shows up. Of course the Holy Spirit's here. No big deal. That's why apathy creeps in and the desperation goes away. We need the desperation of God to meet with us more. It's not just good music. It's not just Bible preaching. It's not just singing songs to and about God. It's about the desperation of my heart and soul. I need you and nothing else. When was the last time God did something remarkable, unexplainable, no human manipulation, nothing that could cause that to happen, physically speaking, made it happen. That's what we're talking about. So let me ask you, do you believe that God's powerful? Raise your hand. You believe God's powerful? You do you? You don't have to raise your hand. Okay? I mean, like, 90% 90% of people raise their hand, and everybody's like, oh, I think i got to raise my hand. If you don't believe God's powerful, don't raise your hand. Just be honest. It's okay. Right? But I believe God's powerful. I do. Do you? Do you believe God can do the impossible? I believe God can do the impossible. Do you believe that there's something in your life that needs to change? I believe there's something in my life that needs to change. I'm the only one with my hand up, but... Okay, <laughs> so, so you're not voting with your uh, mouth or your actions. Um, do you believe that God can change you? Yeah, I believe that he can. I believe that God has the power to change me, and I believe that I'm powerless to change anything about me. I've tried, and it doesn't work. It's been too long been too long we've been seeking our own power too long we've been trying to do it in our own strength too long if you came in here on the rat race and on the uh, hamster wheel and you're trying to keep up with the joneses so to speak and you're trying to be the best christian you can be and just trying to be a good small group member and i'm just trying to worship walk work and i'm just you're powerless to do that it's been too long we need to admit that we can't go that we can't even grow, that we can't. Nothing can happen without the power of God. Stop pretending you can do it. And admit to God and everyone else here, I can't do it, but God can. And ask him to do it. This is the altar. It's a place of sacrifice. So turn to 1 Kings 18. And let's admit that I can't, but God can. That's faith. And let's see from this powerful story of the altar of God just what it looks like to see the power of God in our life. Okay? 1 Kings 18, uh, 18 and 19, you should read it both, they're really powerful. But I want to start back in chapter 16. I want you to see something from chapter 16, verse 30. Chapter 16, verse 30. Kings is in the Old Testament. Okay, so you just got to start from the front and you'll find it. First Kings, Second Kings, okay? First Kings 18 and verse, uh, or chapter 16, sorry, I'm going to start there in verse 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. Well, there was uh, six other kings before him. He was the seventh uh, in the divided kingdom, at least. Did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. It's just north of Israel, in Phoenicia. And went and served Baal. Baal is the title more than a name. Uh, Baal had Hadad would be the name of the God, but Baal is the title and and worshiped him. He erected an altar, good altar, bad altar. Let's vote. You want to erect an altar to Baal? Small g God. You're going to see in a second how worthless that is going to be. For Baal in the house of Baal, you're like, when did they get a house of Baal in Jerusalem? Oh, yeah. Uh, Read the next phrase, which he built in Samaria. Ahab, you doofus, build a house for God. Or just reconcile with the nation of Israel and go to Jerusalem like you're supposed to. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. I want you to think about that. This is not a good situation. You could just write in your Bible, bad king. Bad leader. Bad leadership. That'll affect a place, eh? Bad king. And then look at 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe. Um, I'm assuming that's just for clarity because that's pretty obvious. Um, in Gilead, that was helpful, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, and he does live, before whom I stand, and I might be the only one standing, there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by the word, my word, the word of God, you're like, how long, how many years? Well, it's in James chapter 5, okay, verses 16, 17, 18, three and a half years. Three and a half years is how long there was no, I mean, okay, let's just compare this. All right, so that's a natural disaster. Three and a half years, no rain. That's a nat- there's economic, uh, there's, uh, you know, the food's gone. The leadership's all in trouble. Like, it's just a bad thing, right? Hmm. I, I see hurricanes. Right? And so all of our nation's sending help to Florida, sending help to Texas. Good thing? Yeah, good thing. Who's sending help to America for their spiritual drought? Oh, you're insensitive. Those people need help. Yes, they do. And they need more than supplies. They need Jesus Christ. And they're not the only ones who need that. We need that here in Rochester, Minnesota. So pack up your truck and go down there. But when you come back, don't forget about our spiritual need. Are you catching my drift? We want to get on every cool thing to do. It wouldn't it be cool? for our church to send some money and send some trucks and missions trips yeah it'd be cool wouldn't it be wise of us to be right here in rochester minnesota and say we got a sickness we got a drought a spiritual problem something needs to happen right here in my life today i don't have to drive to florida for that to happen kind of cranked up about it because God's got me on this plan of revival in my own heart and life. So we have a bad king and we have a bold prophet. Sorry for my boldness. I don't think prophets usually apologize for that kind of thing, but I do love you and I want you to know that. So I may speak or raise my voice and say something that you think is offensive, but if you could see my heart right now for you, how much I love you, how much I want so badly for you to get this, you would know I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling for you. I'm doing my job as the herald, as the preacher, to preach to you. This says the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He loves you enough to say, don't hurt yourself. I didn't create you for this. I created you for so much more. I think that's clear. We need to admit that our only hope in this desperate situation that we're in is the power of God. If we had a drought for three and a half years, everybody would be sending stuff, but they'd be sending the wrong stuff because we're already in a drought. And it's been more than three years. Man, 1960s, 1970s, our nation took a nosedive and it has not recovered. And we're not far from ground right now, and nobody's pulled the parachute yet. It will implode. Something's going to happen. And I'm not even a doomsdayer, I'm a positive guy. I think everybody's a 10. So if I think that, then you all probably think it's already happened. We've <laughs> got to admit, we're in trouble and it's not the hurricane type it's it's a spiritual drought and we need God so if I want to see the power of God I mean, it's been a long time since I got to the word eh sorry about that we're going to get there right now if I want to see the power of God I'm going to give you a few things to sacrifice a few things to look for okay a few things that are required in that um The conversation between Elijah and Ahab continues. It continues in chapter 18, verse 17. Next time Elijah sees him, Ahab, and there's a lot of cool stuff in between there, but I'm just going to get there. Uh, Verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Really? Oh, yeah. We haven't seen each other for a while. Three and a half years. Um, How about we just pull out the name-calling real quick? You troubler of Israel. And and bold prophet, right? Can you say bold prophet? Bold prophet, here it comes, here it comes. Uh, And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And have your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. I want you to start to ask your question. Start to ask this question to yourself. Is it possible that the pain I'm suffering right now, I'm not saying it is because of this, I'm just asking you to ask the question. Is it possible that the drought that I'm in, that the marriage problems, that the job issues, that the you name it, you list it, physical ailment that you're in, is possibly because you've abandoned the commandments of God? Because Ahab didn't think so. And clearly in the passage, it was because of that. And so we might not think so, but clearly if we stood back and had a bold prophet say to us, hey, hey, have you considered this? You might be the problem. But I know a solution. Jesus Christ is a good God who died for you. Oh, man. Get back to the passage. He says, now, therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel. It's more like a hill, Carmel. Just saying, if you've looked at it. And the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table, your wife. Come on, bro. Your wife has 850 guys at her table who she feeds, who she kill. He's calling them out. 850 to 1. What are the odds? It's not a fair fight for the prophets of Baal because they're serving a non-God. And Elijah, the one person standing, is serving the God. And so as you walk back into the world today, I want you to know the odds are for you, not against you. Like you're like cackling it up. You're like, oh, I don't know. I can't really confess my sin. I can't really, I don't want anybody to know. You're like, dude, the odds are for you with God, not against you. This whole thing with America, this drought, this evil we're facing, right? Whether it's racial tension or some guy in our country, right? A lot of trouble in our country. Greed. Pride. And, and then, but then there's a guy with some finger on his button in Korea. We're facing that evil too. where a guy wants to blow our country up. Like we're facing a lot of evil. The odds are against us? Are they against us? Are the odds against us? No, they're not, because we have God. But does our nation have God? Uh, They used to. The odds used to be in the favor of America. They're not in the favor of America right now. I'd like to change the odds. Wouldn't you like to change the odds? Yeah, well, let's change the odds by being a godly people. Right? Let's change the odds in America by telling other, everybody about the odds maker, right? The person that actually matters, Jesus Christ. The person that changes everything upside down. So here's the first point. If you want to see God's power, here it is. Stop blaming your troubles on other people. This is something we do. You've got to admit it. You turn to your neighbor and admit it if you want. I do this. I do this. When was, oh, I didn't get my homework done. Dog ate it. <laughs> I couldn't get to uh, our building team meeting today because I get, had to take my kids to worship. <laughs> oh, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I, because, because, because. Get a mirror out, look into it long and hard. Only thing you can control is you and God and you're not controlling him. So submit and let him control you. That's the one move you have. Submit to God or go insane trying to do your own thing. And blame everybody else because it's not working out. Ahab is literally insane. You're a troubler of Israel. This is your last great hope, Ahab. This is it. This is all you got left. He can't figure it out. We need to quit playing with sin. you got to quit playing with sin. So they're going to have a smackdown. Here it comes. Um, so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Read the next phrase. Silence. People didn't say a word. They got nothing to say. Because they know it's the truth. I got a foot in the world and I got a foot in the church. Can't say a word about it. On Sunday, I come to get the power, and we connect with Jesus, and it's awesome. And then I go back to work on Monday, or I go back to school on Monday. Right? You guys are in school. I go back to school on Monday where people are cussing. You know? Where premarital sex is, of course. We're stealing, cheating. It's just part of the world thing. And I think, well, that's where the power is. So I got to go grab the power. So I guess I'm going to swear. I guess I want to be cool. I guess I got to go um, s- steal and cheat. I guess I have to go have sex because that's where the power is. If I have sex with a lot of people, that'll make me more powerful, get me on The Bachelor. That'd be awesome. It's sick. Sick to have your foot in both things and to think I'm living for God. It's sick. Here's the second point stop wavering between two opinions, stop bouncing back and forth between this and the world. This is a real problem. How long? How long are you going to come here and with your lips say, Praise the Lord, all the earth, and then walk out into the earth and then do something that praises somebody and something else. How long? And then we come to church and we go, God, bring us revival. You got to do it, God. And he's like, what? Do you think I'm not the way, the truth, and the life? Do you think I can't see the inconsistencies? You think I'm dumb and blind? No, I'm the God of the universe. I got my eyes wide open. I know everything that happens at all times. That ought to scare you. We serve money and sex and pleasure and leisure. And then when our marriage falls apart and things don't go our way and the doctor bills come and whatever, then we want to come worship God and say, God, help me. And why didn't you help me? hey, if money and sex and leisure are all that, just go serve your boat. Go bow down to your boat and ask your boat to bail you out because that's what you've been serving. It, do you get that? Like, why would we come back to God when we're not serving and ask for something when what we've been serving, let that, let the thing that you've been serving that you think will take you so far, go ahead and kneel down and bow down to that and let that thing bail you out. D- does that make sense? That's what should happen. But somehow we get this opinion like God's a bailout plan. If you think of God as a bailout plan, that's a bad plan. If you think of God as the creator of the universe and you believe that he exists, then you will worship him regardless of what he can do for you. You will just worship him because you know who he is. Stop limping between two opinions. Stop, stop wavering between two opinions. Quit pretending to love God. This last thing, uh, uh, third thing, um, stop faking the fire. <laughs> Notice when he says here, he says, um, and Elijah said to the people, I even only I am, am left as a prophet uh, of, of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men let two bulls be given to us and let us choose one bull for themselves and cut into pieces and lay on the wood. Um, But what does it say? Underline this. Put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood. And what does it say? Underline it. What does it say? Put no fire to it. Don't try to fake the fire. Don't bring the match let God be the flame, okay? And you call upon the name of the Lord your God, the name of your God, small g, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, all capital letters, Yahweh, the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered, well, now the cat doesn't have their tongue. It is well, like good, good, good plan. As in, amen, amen. Really? Amen. All right. Amen. Now you're involved in the message? I grade it. Amen. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you choose for yourselves a bull and prepare first for you are many and call upon the name of your G, God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and they called upon the name of Baal from morning morning until noon. So whenever they started, until sun, sun up, till noon, sing, O Baal, answer us! Exclamation point. I'm not going to yell that because I don't want to be that uh, thrilled about that. Okay? But they were thrilled about it. And, and there was no voice. The scriptures make it very clear, Baal's not a god. No voice. No one answered. And they limped around on... Uh, around the altar and they had, that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, there is sarcasm in, sc- sarcasm in the scripture. I love that. He mocked them. I like it. All right. So he mocks them and he says, Cry aloud! Can't you get any louder? For he is a god. Either he is musing, maybe he's in deep thought about something, I don't know, maybe he's thinking about something. Try to try to wake him up. Try to try to get his attention. Or maybe he's relieving himself, even bathroom humor in scripture. Or he's on a journey. I think he must be taking vacations. What does God need a vacation for? He's God. Isn't that the best job ever? Like, come on. Right? Or perhaps he's asleep. And you must awaken him. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out upon them. And at midday, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. That's 3 p.m. So they went on from morning to 3 p.m. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention, because he's a non-God. So if you go ask your boat to do something for you, it ain't happening. Save the time. Okay, thanks for coming to church. Just saved you a bunch of time. Don't pray to the boat. It ain't going to help. Don't try to manufacture the fire. Churches do this. Let's get the lights right. Let's get the techno, whatever. Let's get the this and that. And let's just. Wow, fire. It's God in our presence. Get a clue. Stop faking it, right? We come to church, we put on our church glasses and our church clothes, and we carry our big, fat Bible, and we're like, I'm great. How are you? I'm great, too. Bull. Dean asked me, how was your summer? Told him straight like it was. It was a hard summer. He's like, was it resting? Was it refreshing? I'm like, it was growing. That's what it was, and that's refreshing because it was growing, Right? We don't have to put a mask on to come to church. I'm trying to tell you, rip the mask off. This might be the only church in town. I don't know that where you can actually do that. And we're still going to love you. Just be who you are. Because we believe when you are who you are, that God will penetrate your heart and get you to where he wants you to be. But if you won't admit where you really are, you're never moving forward. There's this other issue I got to kind of bring up of cutting because it's an issue in our world, right? They were cutting themselves. Why is it that blood, like everybody just knows blood brings attention, right? If I cut myself, somebody will bring me attention. I'll get attention. Blood, attention. I want to gain somebody's attention. Let me just tell you this. If you want to gain God's attention, you don't have to cut yourself. You just need to turn around and face God. He's right there. And by the way, let me say this. Please never cut yourself again, and this is why. Because God cut Jesus Christ so that you don't have to. He did. He cut his only son. Whipped. Blood, flesh, ripped. You never have to do that. It's already done. It's over. No more cutting. Please ask for help if that's an issue you face. The gospel is for us. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. I have three more points. Well, four. Maybe I should just preach next week. I've heard pastors do that and it's like really clever because then they're just loaded. But I just need to hustle through. Okay, so let me give them to you. Um, here's the next one. Start repairing the altars of God. you got to rip down the false altars, but start repairing the altars of God. So, Watch, this is what we're trying to do with Draw Near, this whole thing. I don't know if you participated in Draw Near or not, but I have a new card for you today. Did you guys get this? Yeah, awesome. Hey, nobody's judging you whether you do it or don't. I don't care. Like, I mean, I do care. I love you. I want you to do it, but like, it's up to you. I love doing this. We're going to do it again. Another 21 days, okay, while we're doing this series. I'll see you back here October 1st. Maybe we'll have another one. I don't know, but uh, I'm telling you, do this, okay, just like draw near. If you're not sure what we're doing, uh, it's a 21-day prayer challenge. Get alone for God alone and seek Him every day. That's all you got to do, okay? And it'll, it'll be fruitful and rewarding. Start repairing the altars of God. Let me read it. Then Elijah said to the, all the people, come near to me, draw near, right? And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of God. Well, maybe that's why it's the point. That... Had been thrown down. Oh, oh. Has the altar of God been thrown down in your life? That's the question you'd ask yourself. Elijah took 12 stones. That's it, 12 stones. According to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, also the number of disciples, right, that Jesus had, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. That's in Genesis 35, verse 10. And it's one of the altar experiences I talked about. And with the stones, he built an altar. In the name of the Lord. Why do we build an altar? Because it'd be cool for display. We build an altar for God. That's why we build an altar. We build an altar for God. That there's no other reason to build an altar that but for God. Clear some space for God, as great as would contain two sias of seed, that's about two gallons, seven quarts. And and he put the wood in order. And he cut the bull to pieces, and he, it must have been bigger stones because wood and blood, you know, it had to be a little bigger than this anyway. Okay, he got wood on there, and then, and then he got a bull on there. It's interesting that it's a bull. I'm not going to go into it, but that was the representation of Baal. That was kind of like his thing, and uh, so it's kind of cool that God's using his thing and is going to consume that. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it out on the burnt offering of wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they were tired and they said, I just added that. And they did it a third time. And the water, because I'm sure the water wasn't up on the top of the hill. They probably had to go get it. Okay. And then, and then, and the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with the water. Here's the thing you aren't picking up because water, like I said last week, is just so easy for us. Here's the thing you're not picking up. Water. Was the most valuable commodity of the day. To pour that many gallons of water onto an altar for no reason when you're trying to get fire. <laughs> it's like it just, just. But I gotta tell you this. When repairing God's altar, here it is. You ready? God had to get the water of Israel on the altar before he could get Israel's heart on the altar. God has an a thing in your life that he doesn't like. There's something in there that he doesn't approve of. There's something in there that needs to be moved. He's got to get that and burn it before he can get you and refine it. Do you understand? That's what God wants. That's what God needs. There's something in your life that is in the wrong spot. If you're going to repair the altars of God, then you've got to remove something, okay? Okay? Next point, start practicing the power of prayer. You're like, oh, man, that's such a cool thing to say. Well, notice I didn't say we believe firmly in the power of prayer because belief determines behavior. Don't just say it. Don't just believe it's true. Practice it. You have to do it, okay? Praying, we don't talk about praying. We just pray. That's how we talk. We pray, okay? God loves to show up in power. Are we asking him? That's the question. So, what happened? Well, verses 36 to 39. And the time of the offering of oblation, which is 3 p.m., Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is a prayer now, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done these things at your word you commanded them. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench this is God's supernatural. Whoa! You would not have been on the hill and gone like, well, of course you could do that. Yeah, I, I did that last week. You might have started a bonfire last week, but you didn't consume everything right there. There's nothing left. And by the way, you all get to go home with a doggy bag. You know what it is? You smell like smoke. And when you've been that close to God, you'll never smell the same again. Right? When you've been that close to God, you are different. And I'm praying that today for you. That you will never be the same again after experiencing God this way today. So here's really the point. Are we asking God? We're powerless without God. So we have to ask Him. The people's uh, minds were changed. And their posture and their participation and everything was changed. Look at it. (laughs) And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, next point, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and slaughtered them there we're gonna get a, go a little over it's ten i'm aware of that i know we're getting affecting classes and all that i care more about revival than i care about the schedule right now okay just i'm just gonna, i'm not gonna apologize for that i'm just letting you know we're over here's the next point number six seize the moment this moment right now today and slaughter my idols you have a piece of paper you have a piece of paper I want you, I I can't bring all your altars to here right now. You probably left some of them at home. You don't even know what some of them are. I want you to write down on this piece of paper your altars, your false altars, not the altar of God, your false altars. What is the thing that sits on the throne more than it should? What is the thing in your life that you keep coming back to? You know how many times a day I look at this? Man, I want to chuck this in the fire, right? It's the churches. I can't do that. But you got to curb this thing. Write it down on the paper then. That show that you watch that you know you shouldn't watch? That magazine you have that you know you shouldn't have, that video that you're especially fond of that you know you need to get rid of. If you have something physical changeable in your house that is against God, how do you think God's going to show up at your house? You're not inviting Him in. You need to get rid of that. Now, I've had to write down some things uh, that I need to get rid of on the card because I'm not asking you to do what I wouldn't do. Uh, leadership, leadership is a false altar. So I brought this book here, and uh, I'm going to be burning it later this afternoon at three o'clock, the hour of ablation, right and uh, I brought this, this here, um, make it happen. I like to make things happen. I like to be that guy, like I can do it, can do attitude. Success, all right? And I'm going to burn that, like just as a, as a sacrifice to God, just as like, hey, God, this is yours. I'm not going to do this anymore. Harvest, harvest itself. I took this off earlier this week when I was uh, preparing, and I'm like, yeah, that's really cute and stuff. But like, if that means more to you than God, get rid of it. Does that make sense? I'm just giving you some tangible things. I don't know what it is at your place, but I'm just trying to get your memory going for, for, for your place. My phone, I already mentioned. Food, I've been, um, I'm going to burn a table today. Um, a table leaf, actually. And uh, I've just, I've had a real problem with food all my life. And uh, I just want to say, God, that's, that's a false altar. And it's not a place I can run to for pleasure anymore. I want to run to you. And so uh, those are some things. Pastoring. Uh, the title, the position, when you come and say, man, good pastor, good good message, good, good doggy, like, that's kind of how it feels. It's, anyway, um, you know, it does something to you, right? Like, you want to say, hey, you know, it's all God, and, but th- there's something in you that, like, you know, just say, like, man, Steve, I saw God working in you today. It was God in you today. Because when if it was me, it was bad. And if it was God in me, then it was, that was good. You understand? So anyway, I'm just confessing my sins to you. Thanks for listening. Um, But I want you to write it down. I'm going to give you an opportunity to, at the end of the service here while we're singing, I want you just to come up and put it in here, okay? And I'm going to burn them for you today, right? I know you all can't come, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to burn them for you today. You guys good with that? So start writing. So write some stuff down. I'm going to finish up right here. Here's the last point. See the visible power of God in my life. I want that for us. I want us to see the visible power of God in my life, in our families, in our neighborhoods, at our workplace, in our small groups, in our church, in our city, in our state, in our country. But it starts here. It starts here in you right now, today. If you walk out of here the same as when you came in, you didn't heed the warning, you didn't listen to what I said, you don't want revival. If you walk out of here with a tangible thing, I need to get this thing on the altar. I need to be done with this thing right now. I need to get rid of this right now. As a matter of fact, some of you, all you can do is put it right, it's, it's, like, the, it's like dying to write it down on a piece of paper and put it in this bucket. is dying to you. Some of you have already written a whole card full, and you're like, dude, I'll throw it in there. Yeah, well, you need to show up. Here's an address. You need to show up at this address today at 3 o'clock with your crap, and you need to burn it. If that's your application, then get it done. I'll be there, I'll have the fire lit. Some of you, cards enough. That's the visible representation. I walked up, I did it, that's that's it. Great, power for God. But some of you, that was child's play. You're like, that that didn't even affect me. I'm not even doing anything. If you have something that you can tangibly burn, you get it packed up in a black bag. I don't even want to see it. I don't even care what it is. And you, before God, put it on the fire and burn it. Three o'clock, I'll see you. That's the address. I've gone long enough. I really, 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 really want to see revival. He says, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Don't let any false altar escape today. Don't do it. It's going to trip you up again tomorrow. It's going to want your affection again this week. Don't do it. Burn it. Get rid of it. And light a fire where it should be lit on the altar of God.